Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture readings today give us the interesting theme of vineyards and fruit to think about. In the Old Testament reading, the prophet Isaiah depicts the nation of Israel as a vineyard. The owner of a vineyard goes out to great lengths to achieve a good harvest of grapes. This is not just throwing some seed on the ground and then sitting back and relaxing. No, no, he clears the soil rocks and stones. It's a lot of work. He builds a watchtower so he can keep watch over his property. He even goes to the back-breaking labor of digging and shaping a wine press to be ready when those grapes show up. We're talking about weeks of hard labor in the hot Middle Eastern sun, followed by months of patient expectation for the fruit to come in. In the psalm, we read again how the people of Israel are compared to a vineyard, which was carefully planted, tended, and cultivated. And it grew into a magnificent vine, and it had a protective wall around it. But that wall was removed, and the vineyard was destroyed. This is, of course, an imaginative description of the Israelites being taken away into exile. But why was the vineyard destroyed in Psalm 80? Why? Well, the answer is found in how Isaiah's little parable ends. The master finally went out to see his grapes, but the fruit was bad. The vineyard that he worked so hard and so long to cultivate yielded only bad fruit, and so it was uprooted. And the Israelites went into exile. Then we heard the gospel reading, where Jesus also tells a parable about a vineyard. As Jesus tells his story, it is remarkably like Isaiah's story. In fact, the religious leaders, no doubt, would have immediately recognized, ah, yes, here's a story about us, the people of God, the nation of Israel, just like Isaiah said. Then Jesus expands the story to explain how they are rejecting him as king and savior, exactly like how the Israelites in the past had rejected and killed God's prophets. You see, in Jesus' parable, the servants of the vineyard owner are the prophets, who repeatedly go to the Israelites to call them to live like the people of God, to reflect the character of Yahweh out into the midst of the other nations, to check on their production of fruit. But we can go read 1 and 2 Kings. We can read the prophet Amos. We can read Jeremiah and see that the people of Israel reject those prophets time and again, and they fail to produce that fruit which God desired. And now, Jesus says... Just when the owner of the vineyard sends the last and final messenger, his own son, Jesus, their Messiah, once more they reject him and will eventually kill him on the cross. 
And so, just as the vineyard was lost in Psalm 80 at the time of the exile, so would the nation of Israel experience great loss when Jerusalem and the temple were again destroyed by the Romans. Jesus, with this story, he gives an ominous warning that the tenants in the story, the religious leaders, they've rejected him as Messiah, and they have failed to render to God the fruit he desires. The people whom God cultivated to be his own did not produce the fruit for which he planted them. I want to give you a phrase to hold on to. If the master has planted you, how's your fruit? If the master has planted you, how's your fruit? You see, we can read the parable of Jesus, and we can understand exactly what he's communicating. We can read in Scripture Israel's history of rejecting the prophets and experiencing the exile. We can identify the characters in Jesus' parable, and we can understand that he is, he is uh, explaining his approaching death. But I don't want us to only notice these details and so overlook the way Jesus concludes the parable. It might be that we're so familiar with this parable that we miss the conclusion in verse 43. So let's hear that again. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Jesus is speaking of the people who would receive him as Messiah and Savior, the new people he was creating centered around himself. In other words, he's talking about the church. We are the people who receive Jesus as King and Savior. We receive the kingdom of God and are therefore called to bear its fruits. We are likewise a vineyard. So if the master has planted you, how's your fruit? Now, when I was studying uh, for this, Isaiah's parable really hit home for me in a unique way um, because I spent all this past summer working in my backyard, clearing it out because Samantha and I want to grow vegetables. So for, for weeks this summer, I was out in the yard in the morning before the sun got too high, digging up rocks and pulling up monkey grass and ripping up shrubs with my truck, cutting through roots. And to prove it to you, I brought evidence. Uh, this massive thing, this is not a tree branch. This is one of dozens of roots that I had to find and dig around and hack through with an ax and cut through with a saw to get up these ugly prickly bushes that were in my backyard. Okay, I learned what it takes to prepare the ground and then to eagerly expect the produce. It is hard work. Just like the vineyard owner in the parables. He put in hard work. However, unfortunately, uh, I also understand the disappointment when your work does not yield good fruit. See, we planted four kinds of vegetables. Now, two completely failed, like not even a sprout. Uh, one of them gave us kind of odd, ugly-shaped uh, vegetables, and then one of them, one of the four is producing very nicely, okay? So much work 
but so little fruit. <coughs> There's always next spring, I guess. But here's, here's the example, okay? The example is to illustrate the biblical truth. God created a people to belong to him, the nation of Israel. He set them apart to produce the fruit of knowing him and relating to him. That is to say, to live lives which reflect his character, his goodness, his peace, his generosity, his kindness, the mercy of God reflected out into the world. But both Isaiah and Jesus say that they didn't produce the fruit which God sought. Let's be a little bit more specific. How exactly did they fail to produce this fruit? Well, if you go and read the chapters around Isaiah's parable of the vineyard, we can see some of the specific things that the prophet had in mind. One of them that comes up in multiple places is religion that was only outward conformity but lacked an inward transformation or an outward direction towards service and goodness. For example, in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 17, the Lord says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. Bring me no more vain offerings. That word vain, it means empty or producing no result. Bring me no more vain offerings. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. You see, there was outward conformity. There was sacrifices and liturgy. But these external actions were not met with the fruit of living out what it is to know the goodness of God. Similarly, we can go and read where Jesus specifically denounces the fruitlessness of the Pharisees. We see something remarkably similar. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus tells the Pharisees, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe, but you have neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness. And in verse 28, he tells them, you outwardly appear righteous to other people, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, what we're arriving at is this. When God plants a vineyard, he does it for the wonderful fruit it can bring. When God creates a people unto himself, as he did in Israel, and as he has done in the church, he does it for the wonderful fruits of goodness, righteousness. He wants to bring into his creation through us. If the master has planted you, how's your fruit? There's a helpful question I learned many years ago that comes to mind related to this topic of fruitfulness. The question is this. Christ saves us from sin. But what does he save us for? Christ saves us from sin, but what does he save us for? In other words, unto what purpose did the master go to the great lengths to plant the vineyard? Why did God create a redeemed people in Christ? 
The God of the universe went to great lengths to create the church, did he not? In the parable, he cleared the rocks. He built the tower, dug the wine press, built the wall. In history, we know God rescued the Israelites. He gave them the Torah. He gave them the prophets. In the time of Jesus, God became a human being. He grew up. He experienced hunger and pain and grief and toil. He suffered unjustly. He was beaten and murdered all to rescue sinners like you and me from our helpless, sinful state. But why? To what purpose? Why did the vineyard master go to such lengths? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is a very popular passage of Scripture, and for good reason. We often forget the end of Paul's thought, though, in verse 10. Um, a couple weeks ago, Bishop Terrell told us it's okay to bring our Bibles to church. So if you want to turn with me to Ephesians 2, we can read some verses together. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this when read all together. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In another passage that's slightly less well known, Paul says nearly the same thing. Titus chapter 2 Verses 11 through 14, St. Paul says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Why did God plant the vineyard? For fruitfulness. Why did Jesus redeem us from sin and death? Scripture says so that we can be zealous eager and excited about doing the good works of God. Well, now, Harrison, uh, there's a lot of talk about good works. Isn't, isn't that working for salvation? Isn't that contrary to the gospel? No, not at all. Jesus is the one who said, the kingdom of God will be given to a people producing its fruits. So how do we enter the kingdom of God? Well, by rebirth in the Holy Spirit. Can I make myself reborn in the Holy Spirit? Of course not. Can we make ourselves reborn in the Holy Spirit? No, it is only God who acts to regenerate us. It is purely of his mercy and his grace to regenerate us. But we must remember for what purpose he regenerates us. Think with me about another very important passage of Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 36 anticipates God's gracious act 
of giving us new birth by his Holy Spirit. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of rock. Think about the farmer. I will remove the heart of rock from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. Why? Why will he do this? I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Holy Spirit is given to us to transform us, to lead us into the kind of living that God desires for us, fruitful living. So think about it this way, Grace Anglican Church. You are a vineyard. You are watered and nourished to produce good fruit. Like a vineyard master, God waters us. When? Well, in baptism, of course. In the liturgy for holy baptism in the Book of Common Prayer, on page 168, if you're curious, we find this prayer. Heavenly Father, sanctify this water by the power of your Holy Spirit. May all who are baptized here be cleansed from sin, be born again, and continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ our Savior. It is life from God, not from ourselves. It is the risen life of Jesus in us. God waters us as his vineyard in baptism. And then just like the soil in a garden needs to be enriched and fed and nourished with good nutrients which sustain life, so God nourishes us to produce fruit. When? In the Blessed Sacrament, of course. Listen in a fresh way to the words of the post-communion prayer that we say together every single Sunday. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank you for feeding us in these holy mysteries with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we humbly ask you, Heavenly Father, to assist us with your grace that we may do all the good works you have prepared for us to walk in. His grace saves us. And we become his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the good works he has prepared for us to walk in. We produce the fruit. What is the fruit? According to Galatians 5, it's the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love instead of anger and hatred. Joy instead of despair and bitterness. Peace instead of strife. Patience instead of curtness and impatience. Kindness, goodness, and gentleness instead of all of the opposite of those things. Faithfulness and self-control. Brothers and sisters, how these things are lacking in the world, are they not? 
So let's, let's all examine ourselves and see how the fruits of the Holy Spirit are born in us. Think about, think about how much we would stand out, how much we would point to Christ, how much we would bring glory and attention to the power of God within us and the opportunity we would have to shine the light of Jesus when the fruits of the Holy Spirit are produced in us. Reflect it out into the ugliness and the anger and the confusion of our society. So here's what I leave you with. Grace Anglican Church, if the master has planted us, how's our fruit? In our individual lives, in our marriages, in the midst of our coworkers, in relationships with our parents, with our friends at school, with people in our communities, how's our fruit? As a parish community, we're in a season of growth right now. We talk every week about grace moving forward. Let's remember, as we look forward, how can we be the people of the kingdom who produce its fruit? Let's add this to our prayers. Let's remember to pray this week and every week moving forward. Ask the Holy Spirit. O Holy Spirit, make us to produce your fruit in Gastonia and Belmont Dallas, Shelby, and Charlotte make us a fragrant, aromatic garden that people can't help but notice. Make us beautiful, fruitful in our world that is so often arid, barren, and ugly. Make us to be a fruitful, producing vineyard. Brothers and sisters, let that be our prayer, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, and God's grace, we might fulfill the words of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.